Welcome to the Unabashed Gaming Podcast, where we talk about all things tabletop RPG. This week, Susan and I talk about the different archetypes of players, discussing how we prepare for and write for each type, and finally reveal where we believe we fall in the various categories. Enjoy. Well, uh, yeah, this is episode 35 of Unabashed Gaming. My name is David Schimpf. And I'm Susan Stewart. And uh, today we'll be talking to you about the various archetypes of uh, gamers and, uh, yeah, what they they ask for and how to, you know, give them what they're asking for without ruining your game. (laughs) It's a lofty goal. Something along those lines. No one will ever really you know, achieve that goal 100%, but, you know, even, even a solid, you know, 67% of, uh, of catering to your players will, uh, you know, at least keep them at the table, hopefully. I'd say it's a pretty good ratio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless like the other 37% is you just, you know, verbally abusing them all the time. I don't think anyone... Some people like that. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't pigeonhole. I, I guess maybe some people come to the gaming table for that, but I, I don't think it's a very prominent uh, demographic in the role-playing uh, hobby. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. So yes, um, Robin Laws wrote a, a very um, a very good book um, about GMing, and in it he describes a, uh, a series of, uh, of types of gamers... Um, Let's see, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, the power gamer, the butt kicker, the tactician, the uh, specialist, the method actor, the storyteller, and the casual gamer. Yep. Indeed. So, um, yeah, I just feel like going through them one by one and talking about methods of including them in games so they'll uh, keep coming out. Well, you feel like it's, uh, it's a pretty good list of... Uh... Of player types, I think it has a. I think it is a good list. I'm, I'm sure there might be others uh, that don't quite fall into these categories. Thinking about it, though, I think uh, it's it's hard to put a list like this together because not every player falls into just one category. Sometimes mm-hmm. you uh, you have a variety of categories, and sometimes when you're playing different games, uh, you'll fall into different categories when you're playing something. Um, and of course. Yeah. I feel it's kind of it's kind of like Iron Kingdoms. It's like a pick two. I think your players will often fall into two categories. Definitely more as they level up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All of them at once. Indeed. <laughs> if you get high enough level, you'll uh, you'll achieve all of them, and then you can summon Captain Planet. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Indeed. Need help with my recycling. Oh yeah, gosh. He, uh, I'm sure he does the the sorting like very quickly. Quickly. Yeah. In any case, um, yeah. So the power gamer is probably the uh, well, the power gamer is the first one that was listed on the website that I googled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, yeah, power gamers all about uh, optimization of their character. Um, something that uh, sort of interests me when I was reading it about or reading about it today, and. Um, you know, over the past week or so when I was scouring TV tropes for these sorts of things, um, it sort of uh, came to my mind that, uh, that power gaming isn't necessarily solely about the acquisition of loot or experience. And that's kind of like until I started thinking about it, that's what I thought that this, uh, this character was all about. But um, sort of thinking more about it in, uh, you know, in general terms, because not every game is about uh, you know, looting or gaining XP specifically, um, 
there it seems like that those types of games wouldn't you know limit the you know power gamers from not joining in so i started thinking more about it and um i kind of realized that power gamers aren't necessarily about that sort of thing they're more about just optimization of their character uh relative to the actual goals of the game that's being played so like in like you can have power gamers in call of cthulhu that aren't you know running around trying to get shotguns and dynamite all the time um you can have them (laughs) you know they can be, you know, manufacturing contacts and, um, you know, learning lore and increasing their skills and um, maybe just, you know, working out, uh, you know, relationships with other characters in the game so that when terrible things start happening, they basically have all of their bases covered. Yeah, I think that's fair. You could also, they're also often referred to as a min-maxer. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're all about optimizing their character to be as successful as possible within the game. Um, they're maybe not as divorced from the idea of winning as some role players are. Definitely. They're, they are indeed more about the game than they are about the role playing. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it seems like they're, um, without, you know, breaking the mechanics or rules of the system that they're in. They are about, you know, gaming the system in order to make themselves, quote-unquote, win. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Indeed. It brings to mind a a character that I once read about in a Call of Cthulhu campaign that was a crotchety old man who, um, through um, just, you know, uh, idiotic gameplay by the player and... um, well, intentionally idiotic gameplay by the player and uh, a very angry yet impotent yet indulging GM um, allowed him to be in a position to kill Haster. Okay. It It's a very long read, but also slightly amusing, but also slightly horrifying for anyone who may ever run a game. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, I, I just, I have no idea how I would, uh, if I would even let something get that far where a player would be able to encounter an elder god and not utterly die. Yeah, like, I could see it getting to the point of encountering an elder god, but then they die horribly. Yeah. So, I mean, this was, this was like power gaming at its, at its finest, where the, where the player had worked out exactly how to avoid the, you know, the destruction of his mind by Haster and how to summon Haster and how to make Haster vulnerable in the moment that it was summoned that it would eat a truck full of dynamite and uh, tanker gas or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Indeed. Interesting. In any case, the power gamer being uh, being all about sort of winning at the game and acquiring a bit, you know acquiring the ability to do so, um, whether through game mechanics or character progression or uh, you know out of character versus in character knowledge. Um, how would you say that would be the best way to cater to such a player? Um, definitely, you need to make ways in your game that make them feel powerful. Make Hmm. them feel like they've kind of won. Like, maybe set up an encounter as being really hard and difficult, and it feels like it's going to be a huge challenge. 
And then they kick its ass through mm. the sheer merit of how they've created their characters. Mm. I mean, you can't make it too obvious, but, you know, they need to feel that win right. at some point in the game. There needs to be the idea of struggle, Definitely. but there needs to be that win. Mm. They're also they also are some of the worst about losing a character. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, a lot of people use power gamer as an insult. Mm. You can see that coming from some of the other character types, but I mean you have to be open to the idea that this is how some people like to have fun and you know it's okay if you don't like to game with that people but maybe get behind that mindset a little bit maybe try it out sometime Indeed. you might find you like it a little bit more than you thought yeah and i would say that possibly in order to really uh, try to um try to work with these players it's almost required to start thinking a little bit like a power gamer because you have to examine the system and the campaign that you're running and and figure out you know sort of how they're perceiving it and the mm -hmm. the goals that they have you know in their sort of checklist of gamification and you know start figuring out ways to either you know give them those goals or subvert those goals while still giving them to them um you know so that things remain fresh for that player um, yeah. So it's power gamer. You know, it's. I, I may say this more often about a lot of the other character or the the other player archetypes, but it seems like a power gamer might be a, one of the more difficult players to really uh, to really plan for in the long run, because mm -hmm. um, you know it's it's pretty easy to uh, to cater to someone who just wants to win. You know, in the short term, because you just you know you pile on ways for them to win. Uh, mm -hmm. eventually though they'll get to a point where you can't really throw anything at them that would make it seem like their their victory wasn't you know worth their time and that's sort of the part where you you've kind of realized that you've dug yourself into a pit that really um would take a significant amount of work to really pull yourself out of mm -hmm. and, yeah. but uh the nice thing about power gamers is that they like to talk about power gaming Mm. And so if you're kind of at a loss for where you need to go with them, just get them talking about their character build. Mm. And you'll get a lot of hints about what they want to have happen to their character. Um, a, lot of, a lot of times Power Gamer is mentioned as someone that just doesn't want to roleplay. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really accurate either. You know, you can you can min-max your character and still want to have him go through this heroic struggle. Definitely. Oftentimes it's a bit more cliched than some of your other characters, like your storyteller. Mm. You know, they want to they want to be the hero on the hero's journey, you know. Uh most of the time. Right. So uh, if you're kind of struggling with your power gamer, get them talking about their character. They'll give you all the information you need to know about what they're going to be doing next with their character, what mm. powers they're going to take when they level up. And you can find a way 
to challenge that in the encounters that you build. Um, make a little heroic struggle going on and make the victory taste sweet for them. Indeed. Yeah. Sounds good. I, uh, I think we can probably move on to the, uh, the next archetype. That's a pretty, uh, a pretty well, well versed rundown of the, uh, of the power gamer and what they're sort of looking for in games. Yeah. Uh, and it sort of uh, that sort of transitions pretty well into the next uh, archetype, which is the butt kicker. Mm-hmm. Which, um, I mean, for a while, I thought the power gamer and the butt kicker were kind of the same thing. I always, you know, I always lumped the two of them and the min maxer, which is sort of the power gamer, as you mentioned before, sort of mm-hmm. into the munchkin umbrella. Uh huh. Where they just sort of wanna they wanna hit things and get loot. Um, so you know. It's it's interesting to see that you know the butt kicker is actually a uh, a completely separate archetype than uh, than the power gaming uh, min maxer, where um, you know the butt kicker just really really just wants to hit stuff, like doesn't <laughs> doesn't necessarily really matter if their uh, if their character is the best at hitting stuff, and doesn't really matter if uh, their character is in a game where they're not supposed to be hitting stuff, no matter what they'll be they'll be hitting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, as a a group of heroes trope goes, every group has a butt kicker. Oh, definitely. You know, uh, for any story, there's someone who uses violence as an answer. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people that enjoy playing that character, myself being one of them. Mm, likewise. <laughs> it's it's sometimes fun to play that character. It can be really fun, and uh, I often personally revert to that player style when I'm playing a new system or with new people, mm. because it's it's easy to kind of be in the background and watch what's going on and learn. Yeah. Uh, and then when it's your time to do stuff, you kill stuff, and you've fulfilled your part. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, but Kicker definitely... Uh asks the least of the player to contribute to the game and it's also one of the easier uh players to really uh to really you know plant for or plan for as a uh, as a gm you don't really have to come up with you know elaborate plots for the uh, for the butt kicker he's usually just happy to tag along and hit stuff really really hard mm-hmm. so um it's kind of nice to have uh sometimes to have players that just you know show up for for the dice rolling and for the uh and you know for the physical you know victories uh mm-hmm. that that kind of you know gives a uh gives a gm like a reason to have sessions where he's not really thinking too hard about you know intertwining plots or you know um significant betrayals or you know just a variety of you know colorful npcs that he's going to have to keep in his mind you know the he can utilize the uh, the the player of the butt kicker to uh, to really uh, you know uh, trim down his stable of NPCs if he's starting to get sick of a few. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and you can also you can make the butt kicker happy with even without a combat necessarily. Hmm. You can give them a um, you know a chance to. Uh, to use their battle awesomeness, battle savvy, I guess, is more accurate, to solve 
some other social conflict, mm. you know, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, mean they're coming in and interrupting and punching somebody in the face, but you can use their reputation. You know, if they're using a town as a home base, it's not going to be very long before people know that, you know, Bob's Barbarian slash Dar, <laughs> um, you know, it will, uh, will not hesitate to beat the crap out of people. And so they just see him coming down the street and change their tune. Or they see him come in the bar and change their tune. Yeah. Or, you know, see him come out of the bathroom and mm. run away screaming. The you know? character, yeah, like the character equivalent of Mongo from, uh, from Blazing Saddles. Exactly. <laughs> Never mind <Yeah>. that shit. <laughs> oh. Exactly. You know, so um, it, it can also help uh, help draw in a butt kicker to role playing scenes. You know, they don't have to just be, you know, sitting there with their eyes glazed while everybody else is doing the talking. You know, their presence will have uh, an impact on the situation. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> yeah. So it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of nice. The butt kicker really. Uh, you know, with his uh, with his play style and you know the resulting you know in game effects from that, he uh, you know it changes from a uh, a somewhat disinterested potentially player to a tool for both players and like both other players and the GM to really uh, to really utilize. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to have a player that's actually there just to make things easier on you instead of you know others that might require more of your uh, more of your specialized attention. Right. Ooh, also fun thing to do. I don't know. I don't know why this popped in my head. But you know, if they do have that kind of a presence, your butt kicker's character, you can like lure them off into something else and then have somebody like ambush the rest of the party and then the butt kicker has to like get free and find out and rescue everybody, you know. Mm. It can be a fun way to kinda uh highlight them for a session if you need to or want to definitely yeah it sort of uh gives them gives the other players a reason that the the butt kicker exists mm-hmm. yeah. yeah if they're a little uh underappreciated or yeah yeah or you know maybe there just hasn't been a, a decent combat in a while it's sometimes good to remind everyone exactly you know what the different types of players are and what yeah. this one can do for the table yeah, or maybe your butt kicker hasn't made you a background story, so you don't have any fun plot hooks for them. Mm. You know, yeah, you just make one. Definitely, you <laughs> uh, you create backstory through play. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Indeed. All right, shall we move on? Let's move on to the tactician. Tactician. Indeed. Uh, yeah. The also probably probably could also be considered a strategist. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like the uh, the tacticians, the type to really, who really plots out just about everything that goes on um, in any sort of aspect of the game, yes. where, where he's the one who tells people to be, even if they don't want him to tell them that, and he is the one who uh, who usually discusses things like uh, like you know movement order and uh, and ambush tactics 
and all sorts of other um, other out of game um, concepts that may have uh, not specific rules dedicated to them, but you know would be conceivably uh, utilized in a world that not completely unlike our own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. They're also the player that gets the most mad about people just playing their character. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Robin Laws mentions that in his book that uh, that they are uh, they dislike people making poor tactical decisions because of their character. Um, and I definitely think that's accurate from the tacticians that I've known. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. It's maybe actually a defining feature of them for me anyway. I would agree. And yeah. those characters or those players that aggravate the tacticians, those are a GM's best friend. <laughs> I, I concur. They're usually the ones that make things interesting. Indeed. And make your prep work last for three or four sessions instead of one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, tacticians are really all about, uh, like, I think the, the really defining thing about the tactician is that he's always trying to outsmart you as the GM. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, uh, he's thinking ahead. He's thinking in terms that you're probably not considering. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying to set up like a straightforward, um, I don't know, uh, like a straightforward prison break. Uh, he's the one that talks about, you know, instead of getting captured by the prison, he's the one that starts talking about um, beating up guards and stealing their uniforms or talking about, um, I don't know, taking advantage of, you know, possibly a social situation you had not even planned to exist mm-hmm. in the city to cause riots and, you know, have an entire population of a small village riot against the, uh, you know, the the one cell jail that the <laughs> that the sheriff who you know is probably not all that terrible of a guy is you know just working at yeah yeah they often come up with some very uh convoluted plans yeah yeah which can be interesting it can be interesting and that's another way that uh you know another type of player can turn you know a one prep session into you know a three session so um it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of more difficult to, uh, to cater to the tactician in prep because most of the time he's going to, uh, he's probably going to try to not exactly ignore the, uh, the, not the plot hooks, but sort of the, the solutions that you offer in favor of one of his own mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. his or her own. So... It's. It seems like the the best way to deal with a tactician in my uh, in my experience and uh, and uh, in my thoughts right now is probably to stay more on your feet than you're probably comfortable with. Mm-hmm. To uh, to really take some of those um, more z- or some of those zanier uh, plots and and uh, and strategies that he comes up with. And, you know, really take a, take a second or two to really think about the, uh, the effectiveness and, you know, the execution of them. And, you know, maybe they're, uh, maybe they're better than something you'd come up with yourself. 
Yeah, I think, you know, definitely the way I like to deal with them is I just come up with problems and they can figure out the solution. Like, I don't have an answer right away Mm. when I make up something. I'm like, they'll figure it out. And, you know, if they start asking questions that are leading a certain way, go with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, But that's me personally. I think I'm very comfortable with improving as a GM, and I know a lot of GMs are not. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of GMs are very uh, have trouble with uh, yeah with coming up with their own stuff. I think uh, I think I may have like the opposite problem. I, I don't do very well when working from uh, from existing material mm-hmm. because I'm yeah. so used to uh, players uh, contradicting or subverting or all out <laughs> ignoring the uh, the published material in front of me. And right. But- that's a problem I've always had with published adventures. Yeah. Because they ask a question, you can't just bullshit it. Like, you have to look in the adventure and be like, well, there's nothing here about that. I guess I'll make something up. Right, because there's always, the, uh, there's always the, the possibility that, you know, somewhere in, like, a later published episode of this adventure, you're going to somehow contradict yourself. Right, and you're yeah. going to be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I... Uh, why I don't really have too much of an issue with tacticians and why I tend to uh, run most of my own stuff. I think mm-hmm. you're probably in the same boat. Yeah, definitely. I'm good with kind of rolling with the punches. Yeah. That yeah. said, I mean, um, I kind of uh, I kind of like having at least one tactician in the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've ever really played in a game where, like, two tacticians, you know, competed for who had the best strat... That would be a that would be kind of an interesting situation to find oneself in. Uh, I have really. <laughs> I felt like that was a a big part of our early sessions of space my space book. Oh, oh man! <laughs> All I hear is the shouting. Apparently, I don't I don't I don't hear the I don't hear the competing uh, uh, uh. like theories until someone just presents me just with one. <laughs> Yeah, no, I feel like uh, I've played with several tacticians, and when they all, like, get together, it's a little uh, frustrating. Hmm. <clears throat> Understandable. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, cater to tacticians, uh, take notes on what they say, and, uh, and you know, think on your feet. Really yeah, there's definitely a... people that, like, say yes to when you can. Yeah. It's an old trope, but an old cliche for GMs. But it works really well with them, and it makes them feel makes them feel good. Yeah, it seems like tacticians might be one of the players that you would most be saying, you know, the, the yes but or the no but um, <laughs> qualifiers when you're, when you're, you know, running games. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to say that other players won't come up with, you know, situations or uh, or ideas that'll turn you a little bit on your head. It just seems like tacticians are the ones that, you know, are just about always there to do that one thing. And they're, you know, they are really good at putting up their own boundaries, I've found out, for the most part. Mm. Like, they've already said no to themselves about several things. Yeah. So they tend to kind of... Um, tactician their way into a corner and that's the way they want it to play out hmm. which yeah. is usually fine 
I think my uh, I think my biggest problem when running with with tacticians, even though they are sometimes a joy to to run for, is that they always um, they're always looking for that consistency. So mm-hmm. if uh, if there's ever a situ- uh, if there's ever a situation where I have to make up, you know, a, a a rule of law in a game, or you know, incorporate an existing rule of law into a game, they're always going to remember that even when I don't. Yes. So in the future, if I'm ever planning something that you know might specifically hinge on breaking one of those laws, um, a tactician can just you know utterly destroy my argument by saying, well, in in you know session six, you. Uh, you determine that uh, you know objects fall at half the speed that they normally would in uh, in Earth <laughs> gravity, and now it's uh, and now you're saying that I'm falling through the sky and have have a potential of dying, but that doesn't seem to make sense. Oh. Yeah, they have a tendency to collect all of the information you give them ever. Yeah, and they have it in their brains somewhere, and because they might need it at some point for mm. some plot that they're coming up with. And so it'll come back out. Never fails. Yeah. I and they so. will get really mad if you want to change it. Because right. Because they've been saving that piece of information for the perfect opportunity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I, uh, gosh, I'm thinking back to when I, when I was reading, um, what was it? Uh, uh, Darths and Droids, I think it was. The, uh, there's this, uh, did you ever read um, GM of the Rings? Mm-mm. Uh, it's basically a uh, a screen cap of Lord of the Rings, the trilogy where they where someone writes it out like it's an RPG. Okay, I have read that yet. Yes. So, so someone did the same thing with the Star War- with both Star Wars trilogies. Okay, very good. Which um, I have to admit made um, the prequel trilogy so much more enjoyable. <laughs> I bet I should read that actually. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, one of the players utter you know utter ridiculous tactician and. He uses like a throwaway line that the GM makes about Coruscant and like how they have like velocity reducers for people because all the buildings are super high and there's like no railings on any of the buildings. <laughs> so um, that's just like a throwaway line when they first show up in Coruscant. And then like later in like uh, episode two, I think when they're like, you know, when they're chasing the bounty hunter or like the, the assassin and like Anakin just jumps off of, you know, uh, the side of a, a car the GM's like, why the hell did you do that? And he's just, well, you know, you said that there's all sorts of like gravity reducers, so I'm not going to die if I fall and hit right at the right. ground. Right. So it's, um, <laughs> oh man. You got to watch out for them. They're yeah. crafty. Yeah, that's, uh, they'll, uh, yeah, they'll be crafty and they'll remember everything you say about, you know, the, the <laughs> physics of a location and just the rules of your game and they will throw it right in your face oh, yeah. when, when you think you have the upper hand. <laughs> yeah that's for sure yeah yeah but you know they definitely uh even though they occasionally cause a significant amount of ire i do i do enjoy tacticians i think almost more than i do uh most of the other uh the other players that uh the types of players that show up oh interesting yeah they're the ones that tend to give me the most like ideas for uh for like future plots because I mean, like they're the ones that are uh, they're the ones that are talking about like inciting riots to uh, to you know take over a small jail, or they're t- they're the ones talking about you know setting up complex betrayals of NPCs, and mm-hmm. so you know you just file all that away and say, okay, they're pissed at you, and they're pissed at you, and they're pissed at you, and they're <laughs> pissed at you, and you're gonna have a lot of fun in like five episodes. Right, right. It all so, comes to a head. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah. I'd say, like, yeah, one game with a tactician gives me material for, like, at least five sessions in the future. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, maybe we should uh, move on to the next right. guy now. So let's talk about the specialist. Ah, uh, the specialist. The character type that I seem to most um, fall into when I'm running when I'm playing games. Uh, yeah. The player type. Yeah. The uh, you know the the player who chooses who plays only one type of character. <laughs> um, you know, I varied up with the class, but I always sort of play the uh, the plucky comic relief. Yeah. Yeah. The tragic comic relief usually. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was like, funny. yeah, a very, a very dark version of the plucky comic relief. I think. Mm. Well, yeah, it's the uh, it's the plucky comic relief after the movie's over and everyone's you know still watching and they're just like, <laughs> why didn't we cut away to the happy couple? And they're like, no, you're you're following this guy until he dies horribly. <laughs> you're following him until he you know he's he, he encounters a roadside robbery and 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 his life is just over. Yeah. Or, you know, he's murdered by Saxons or Romans or (laughs) um, grenades or anything terrible that will try to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, even though I I enjoy uh, testing out different character classes and strategies for, um, you know, the various achievements in games, I tend to always fall into, yeah, that one darkly humorous doomed character. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. But I think hmm. we know uh, I think we know a few people who at least have some specialist in them. Mhm. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think Iron Kingdoms might be like a might be like a perfect, you know, microcosm of players who just want to be gun mages. <laughs> I mean everybody, everybody. everybody I think that's everybody that yeah. plays Iron Kingdom. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, like that's that's kind of like the first thing that really like hits people when they uh, when they pick up like the Iron Kingdom's careers and they're looking through them and they're like, "Ooh, casting spells with a gun." It's true. I remember when I was given Iron Kingdom's core rulebook for as a Christmas present many a year ago now, hmm. and I was paging through it, and I saw the Gun Mage career. I took a picture of it and texted it to you. And yeah. I was like, oh my god, there's Gun Mages. And then we, <laughs> and then we played <laughs> Iron Kingdoms and Scott was a Gun Mage. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's like a major selling point of Iron Kingdoms, I feel like. You just like, any gamer type person, I think you tell them that and they get a little excited. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about a fantasy setting where, you know, you introduce guns and then you're casting spells with your guns and you're shooting a bunch of people and rolling a bunch of dice. Yeah, that that sort of a that kind of appeals to a lot of uh a lot of players because you know, you get the flavor basically distilled in this one character for, you know, potentially the the method actor or the tactician. Um, you know, you get the butt kicker who's kicking butts, and then of course you get the power gamer who, you know, there is a lot to get when you're a gun mage. It's true. Like, it, gun mage appeals to almost everybody. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Indeed. So, yeah, um, catering to the specialist, um, just let them play their favorite thing. Yeah, and, you know, make it important. Yeah. 
You know, like only only a gun mage could solve this problem. Right. Make it, yeah, make the a lot of the or make whatever conflicts you can relevant to you know what they've chosen so hey shooting contest or hey duel in you know at high noon yeah yeah you know have like a a tori hanzo in kill bill moment with Mm. them where they're you know deemed worthy of this amazing gun of the type that they're specked out to play. Exactly. Because only they're special enough for that particular weapon. <laughs> only the specialist is special enough. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I mean, I um, I can also see where GMs would get frustrated with the specialist just because, I mean, there is that comfort level of, you know, always being able to just sort of prep for that one character type. But then there's sort of always the frustration that you're always feel like you're stagnating by not writing for other character types more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like that might be i I've never really felt too much that way. I don't think I've ever had to deal with like very uh, serious, um, you know, exclusive specialists. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, why can't I play a ninja in this? Yeah, why can't I play a ninja in your, you know, yes. um, in your prehistoric fantasy game yeah. where, with cavemen and dinosaurs? Like, I want to be a ninja that, um, that you know, assassinates for dinosaurs. Yeah, I think, you know, if you have a group that's open to playing different games, you won't have a specialist that's like that for the mm. most part. They'll go to a game group that plays one game system. specifically that allows them to be that thing indeed um uh that being said i find a specialist to be a very comfortable person to have in a game group Mm. because you know what to expect from them you know how to write for them to make them happy you know you know how they'll interact with other players uh no matter what those other players make Mm. um so they're kind of a, a constant in a, a sea of variables. Indeed. <laughs> Once you get to know them, that is. Yeah, seriously. So that can be fun. And it, you know, I never tire of coming up with ways to horrify and shock and surprise a specialist, especially mm. because you know how they're going to react to everything. They're yeah. the same all the time, you know? So it's, so easy to play with their emotions mm. um, so that's fun and so you just you know keep taking them on roller coasters <laughs> and oftentimes you'll find that they end up changing because of that I mean not out of spite not being like man Susan's such a bitch to my character I'm gonna change <laughs> <laughs> but more like a, you know they've evolved because you know their characters evolved because of everything it's been through right and so all of a sudden their usual specialist character isn't what it was before Mm. Um, so that's fun definitely i would agree um moving on to storyteller yeah or or rather i think i skipped over the method actor actually let's move on to the method actor who is yeah you totally did i know who's kind of like the opposite of the specialist really Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Uh, the method actor is the person who um, who wants to you know explore the various yeah, characters he can play. That. 
And uh, so he'll come up with a variety of, uh, of characters through your gaming career with them and um, force you to, you know, pay attention to each and every one of them. <laughs> yes, they yeah. tend to be a, a bit of a diva. Yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, their sort of differentiation from the storyteller archetype is that, like, the storyteller wants the plot to be central. Uh, the mm-hmm. method actor really wants his character and his characterization and his backstory and plotline and his connections to be central to the game. Yeah. <laughs> You're starting to sound a little bitter, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, why would I? Just because just I don't have any characters that last long enough to, you know, have any plotlines be about them doesn't mean that... <laughs> Are you saying you want to be a method actor, but your characters just die too much? Maybe. <laughs> no, I had some pretty good. Uh, I had some pretty good method acting moments with Benjamin in, uh, in the Iron Kingdoms game. You did. We actually had several games that were very hip. Gilly, stop! <laughs> Sorry, listeners. My cat is chewing on my microphone cord. Gilly, no. Just for kicks. No, it is not edible. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't have it, you know, delicious candy red color. I guess. Yeah. I guess it's too delicious looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, I try to do that for all my players to have, like, special plot stuff just for their character. Mm. So you may find out that one of your, some of your players are secret method actors. Oh, indeed. You know, they didn't know they were until they, like, had a little subplot based on them, and then they blossomed. Right, and then they just realized how awesome it would be if you know more plots had to tie into their character. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. But no, they're um, they're fun to have in games because they're the ones that sort of they're the ones that mostly write out like you know significant backstories and characterizations for their character. So yeah. you know you get a lot of I mean just out of out of the gates you get a lot of stuff to work with from them so it's it's kind of that uh not exactly a self-fulfilling prophecy but just sort of that machine that you know keeps feeding back into itself Mm -hmm. where uh you know they keep giving you stuff to use and no one else might you know other players might not be giving you anything to use right So, so that kind of uh that kind of helps put them not exactly front and center but closer to the middle than uh than you know the the butt kicker right yeah. And uh uh whereas you're very comfortable with a tactician giving you a lot of plot points, I really like a method actor because they give you a lot of plot stuff. Mm. Uh whether you like it or not. Yeah. You know, you get five emails in one day about various things about their character. Mm. And you know, it, um anytime you're having a slump for something to think about, you just go back to one of those emails and you're like, ooh, yes, they do have a niece that's serving in the colonial army. Mm. I'll use that today. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So that's that uh that family tree really did me in, didn't it? Well, that is kind of why you made it for me, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I knew what it would happen, what it would cause, the <laughs> the death and misery that would come from my family's genealogy. Oh, I've only started. Oh, I bet. Oh man. So yeah, um, moving on from <laughs> the uh, from the method actor, since I was 
seemingly so eager to get on to the next one is the storyteller, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I, I kind of feel like is a little bit more of a, of a misnomer because the storyteller, it seems to me is the one who really wants the story to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether or not his input is included, it seems like he exists to make the story move forward. So the GM is really in the storyteller's perception, like the real storyteller Right. Uh, the storyteller just seems to be like an enabler to to move the plot and the uh, you know and the narrative forward. Yeah, he's more of a catalyst, I yeah. think. Um, he yeah, he like he doesn't care what's happening as long as something's happening. Right. You know, and um, the storyteller can be great to help the rest of the players um, get with the program. Mm. Yeah, he's you also know? the one that yeah he's the one that would take the most meticulous notes. Um, you know, compared mm-hmm. to compared to like the method actor who would be the one writing, you know, all the information in about his character. Yes. It seems like the storyteller would be the one that like if you put anything out on a wiki or an email or on Obsidian Portal, the storyteller is probably gonna be the one to be reading it and yes. you know, transferring that information to the players who probably don't want to read it. Right. He also yeah, in that aspect he often takes a um a role of lore keeper. Yeah. Uh, you know, your game's librarian. Indeed. And he's, you know, <laughs> he's super useful to have around because he, you know, he's kind of the one that makes sure that the, not only the plot moves forward, but the game moves forward. So most of the time yeah. I think that in uh, in that sort of situation, I mean, the storyteller is the one that, you know, moves players off of tangents that happen at the table and, yeah. you know, is is the one that says, well, yeah, that's that's interesting about lima beans. So what happens next, GM? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And, uh, you know, when nobody else remembers what an NPC is named, they will. Mm. Um, so he's he's a great player to have around, To uh, He's kind of like a GM's assistant in a way. Yeah. I've always felt. Because, um, he, yeah, he really does care about the story as a whole more than his own personal story or combat or anything else yeah he's he's kind of the one that exists to to really enable you to you know move forward with your plots mm-hmm. which yeah is is a very uh is a very nice thing for a gm to have at a uh, table full of people who may you know want to talk about their new dice or the <laughs> you know the most recent episode of archer yeah or you know argue about the physics of super science Right, or just want to hang out in a tavern for, you know, the entire session and talk about what type of drinks they get and what, you know, the umbrellas might look like. Right, yeah. right. So I've, uh, yeah, I've, I really like having the storyteller there. He's a, he's a good utility for a, for a GM to have. Um, mm-hmm. Catering to him, I mean, you just, you really want to have an engaging story. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it can be... In a way, they can kind of be a trap because it's easy to railroad them along and mm. they'll follow. Yeah. Um, and if you've got a whole group of storytellers, you know, they'll be happy to be railroaded along. Yeah. Um, you have to really watch out for giving them too many options because they get lost. Mm. Yeah, because they sort of uh, want to explore everything. Right, right. Um, or they get... Um, uh, they get kind of paralyzed by all of the choices that they have and they don't do anything because they're worried that whatever they pick isn't going to be the story, you know? Yeah. 
So you got to watch out for them a little bit when you're uh, making things, but they're pretty easy to cater to if you have story happening in your game. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's very helpful to have them around for that specific purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I, uh, are we ready to move on to the uh, to the last type of player? Indeed. The casual. Indeed. The casual gamer. The casual gamer. He's there because his friends are there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so in your uh, in your eight player game tomorrow, how many of those do you think are casuals? Um, I don't know. Maybe a couple. Hmm. But maybe not. That would we'll be see. a that would be a horrifying proposition to have an eight player game and none of them be casuals. <laughs> right. Because, um, cause... Yeah. Most of them are from a Facebook gaming group for the mm. area. And uh, a couple of them are from Randy's work. So I think if anybody's going to be casual, it's going to be them. Mm. But we'll see. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, casuals, even though... I mean, in the uh, in the video game, you know, uh, terminology and in, in those circles, casual gamers are usually met with uh, with, you know perceptions of scorn because they're not you know qualified as you know quote-unquote real gamers Mm -hmm. um i think that we view them on tabletop a little bit differently partially because you know occasionally there's so few filled seats in a tabletop role-playing game that just having people there is nice yeah but i mean also with all these you know the variety of other types of archetypes of players i mean you're you're looking at, you know, if if you've got, you know, an, any large number of players sitting at a table, you've got conflicting personalities and you have conflicting, you know, intentions towards a game. So it's kind of nice to have a player there who's, you know, just there to roll dice. Just there, you know, because his, his friends are rolling dice and he's rolling dice or she's rolling dice. And, um, you know, they they don't really have ulterior motives other than just to sort of, you know, uh, obtain as much enjoyment as possible without really needing to put down too much own of their uh, too much of their own buy-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they can often. I mean, as far as the social aspect of your table, they can also be a very important um, like keystone hmm. to that group getting along. You know, if you're missing your casual gamer for that session, there's going to be like more arguments about stuff and you know because they were an important aspect of the social circle yeah definitely they're kind of the they're kind of that player that doesn't talk which makes the other players kind of feel a little bit more awkward about opening their mouths too much in mm-hmm. non-service of the game yeah so um yeah they're sort of like the mitigating factor the uh gosh how does how does one put it if uh like you're cooking and there's too many spices and you throw in you know something to something to neutralize it if, yeah. If you don't have that neutralizer, you're you know little gonna... tomato juice, and you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Casual gamers, you are the tomato juice of <laughs> of role playing tables. Um. Yeah, but you know, I think often casual gamers are described as people are there because their friends are doing it. Mm. I think there can be a casual gamer as well that like is there to role play, but they don't have that like burning passion Mm. about it. You know, like 
they like playing it, but they don't want to put in all the extra man hours to like write an elaborate backstory or read all of the fluff you've written for it or, um, you know, really get a mastery on the rules. Yeah. You know, they just want to show up and have fun and, you know, play their character a little bit and be mm -hmm. done with it for the week, you yeah. know? And they're kind of down for everything. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're great. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, I'll play whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's, hey, man, it's either this or, you know, going to see a matinee on, you know, on a <laughs> Sunday. And, God, it's, it's like post-Oscar season. Nothing's on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just because they're the casual gamer of your group doesn't mean that they don't, they're not interested in it. Hmm. You know, it's just they're not obsessed with it. Right. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't have that fiery passion that, you know, occasionally causes personality clashes at the table. They're the uh yeah. They're just sort of there to enjoy themselves, which is a nice, you know, it, it's it's sort of a nice base. And mm -hmm. it uh it kind of, you know, that's that's kind of like what we should all really be there for, just to enjoy ourselves. So it's nice to have someone there to to really remind everyone at the table that they're there to really have fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They can often help bring back that fun factor if you've got some really serious players. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, casual players, we salute you. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Lots of respect. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like we've uh looks like we've made up fifty five minutes talking about uh talking about Robin Law's uh you know, archetypes of players. Well, his book is uh, is often considered the ultimate go-to guide for game mastering, mm. um, and partially because he talks about his players so much, about how to deal with your players. Definitely. Which is excellent. Hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. Um, that, do you own his book? I, I do. Wow. I, I bought the PDF version and I printed it out. Mm, fun. Like I do. Because like, I actually yeah. hate reading anything digital. So <laughs> anything that is available to me as a PDF and not as a hard copy, I will buy as a PDF and print it out. Oh, definitely. Ugh. <laughs> hate PDF so much. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's sometimes they're a necessary evil. Indeed. So, Dave. Mm hmm after all that has been said, what player types or type do you think you are? Well, um, I think when I'm like pay playing uh, Pendragon, mm -hmm. I tend to fall kind of into the uh, into the power gamer type of uh, uh, type of archetype. Oh, really? Um, yeah, where I sort of I kind of make the uh, the character really about. I try to make the character as survivable as possible. <laughs> That's understandable. That's, that's how many you've lost. Yeah, that's that's kind of like my objective. That's my winning in in Pendragon is is you know seeing how many sessions a character of mine can actually last. Um, and unfortunately, when that happens, they kind of end up turning into sort of the same character. So um, perhaps I should start thinking maybe a little bit more about uh, maybe approaching Pendragon from like a method actor type of uh, type of standpoint, like how I how I sort of approach Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> where um, I just sort of roll the dice and let those sort of decide exactly how my character is going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, that would kind of be the uh, that would kind of be one of the better options for me, um, maybe, or just an interesting uh, side option for me to experiment with, especially since I'll be rolling with a new character this Sunday. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. Uh oh. Uh oh. Spaghetti. Uh- I've got to get caught up. I'm coming close. I listened to several episodes uh, the other day, mm-hmm. so I'm on 5.15.16. I think I'm on 5.16. Okay, so I'm, we're still about 10 years ahead of you. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm working on catching up. Yeah. Who am I playing right now? Uh, I believe you're playing Arcade. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Arcade. <laughs> I know, he's been going for a while now. He has been going for a while. <laughs> I say, uncomfortably scratching my head. I know, it doesn't, I don't think anything horrible is going to happen to him soon or anything. Why would you think that? It's just one of my players. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I have, uh, I mean, I think when I started, I started with, uh, hey, I haven't mentioned 4th edition in like one episode, right? <laughs> when I. Talked about it all last time. Yeah, when, when I started fourth edition, I think I was a, uh, I think I was full on power gaming. I was, you know, looking through the core book and figuring out which skills and abilities I was going to be taking and which powers I would be having next and working up towards and, you know, going through the magic section of the book and being like, well, if I have this weapon, it'll give me sneak attack on my first attacks of each <laughs> of each round with it, so I can just use it once and then drop it, then use it again, then drop it and. Um, yeah, so I was, I was all about just like, every time I walked into a new town, I was like, oh, so there's a magic shop in here. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they're selling uh, hidden daggers. Huh? Yeah, it's maybe a little bit, maybe a little discount. Huh? huh? <laughs> um, and I think I was, uh, I think I was like that for a pretty serious amount of time until I started, uh, with Stephen Bohannon's Pendragon, where I kind of went closer to the, uh, the specialist method actor, um, that I've sort of become where oh, Hannah did a Pendragon. Uh, I'm sorry. A Pathfinder. Oh, did I okay. say Pendragon. Yes. They're both so confused. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, but Hannah never did Pendragon. He did Pathfinder. My apologies. But yes, that was the introduction of uh, Alphonse Mycroft discount magician. Oh yes. Who good. was, um, basically Jim dark magic XP. And, um, yeah, he was, you know, a serious amount of fun and ridiculous and, um, definitely not, he didn't start out as a power gamer and then he just sort of, my inclinations towards it sort of started coming back after I got a pair of magic swords and decided that if I was really <laughs> going to use them properly, I needed to start taking levels in fighter. Yeah, definitely. And so I did. And that's kind of when I stopped playing. So yeah. But, uh, after that, I mean, I got after pathfinder i think i started gming and didn't actually play too many games after for a while after that right yeah right that will yeah after pathfinder we got into dark sun yeah and then i was just yeah i think that's probably the best thing i could have ever done because that really eliminated entirely or mostly entirely my desire to ever power game again except in (laughs) you know pendragon and um yeah really just sort of put me into the into the storytelling method acting gm hybrid you know because Mm -hmm. as a gm you kind of have to be all these players and so that uh that kind of you know gave me the nice perspective on you know exactly what i should be doing which is gming yeah yeah Yeah. very good yeah um 
I think I have a strange combination of butt kicker and storyteller. Hmm. I think I those know. two would go well. Those two seem to go well together, though. I mean, like, you hit yeah. stuff until the plot advances. <laughs> Sometimes I get frustrated enough that that's what I want to do. Yeah. Like, what do we kill to make stuff happen? Exactly. You know, it's like uh, it's like an old, like, TV serials where, you know, a machine stopped working, so you smack it around until it does. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that comes from, like, my comfort level place. I have some social anxieties that are very interesting, but... Um, you know, so the butt kicker is a really comfortable place for me to be. I don't have to have a lot of involvement if I don't need to mm. <clears throat> discuss this already. But the storyteller, like, I want to know what's happening in the plot. Oh, That's why I like games is for story. Mm-hmm. Um, I might throw a little method acting in there, but I'm horrible at tactician, so definitely mm. not that. Yeah. I don't have enough energy to be a power gamer. Yeah, there's really not enough time in the day anymore to really scour through, you know, source books and try to figure out really complicated combos. Yeah. I think the the closest I came to power gaming, you know, in the past month or so is just for a uh, for a Pathfinder game that I'm playing every other 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 week is uh for Chuck's Pathfinder game is Oh yeah, I, okay. I I actually just googled a build and I just went with that. Oh nice. Very and that good. still took longer than any character creation I've ever done. <laughs> I uh, I think the closest I got to power gaming was when I did um, GURPS, actually, when I was playing in a fantasy GURPS game. Hmm. And uh, I didn't have a lot else going on in my life other than, like, work and playing this GURPS game and, like, knitting. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> I uh, – and it was actually, like, the first regular – tabletop gaming group I got to do on a regular basis so I was like really into it I've read the GURPS books like cover to cover <laughs> and like I knew everything that was going on everything oh, I was man. the rules lawyer of that game and like <laughs> everything though interestingly enough my character was a pregen hmm. like our because um, our GM was also new to GURPS he was like I'm tired of everything else we're going to try GURPS mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, sure, I played a little bit on forum games, which I won't get started on. Um, and so we just kind of dove in, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah, it's the closest I've gotten to power gaming. Mm, definitely. Well, it's an interesting system to power game in. Oh, I bet. There's just so much crunch. There is. It's fun. Mm. Indeed. Well, I think that's... Uh... I think that probably covers us for the uh for the episode indeed yeah we uh got to talk about ourselves got to talk about other people without naming names never name names go us no. yeah <laughs> exactly never name names at all <laughs> oh but once again thank you guys so much for listening my, uh this is episode 35 of unabashed gaming my name is david shim and i'm susan stewart uh, again thanks for listening have a great night
just as a reminder to our listeners, we here at Unabashed Gaming love to hear from you. Head over to www.unabashedgaming.blogspot.com and leave us a comment. We also have a SpeakPipe link on our blog page. You can leave us a message directly through your computer's microphone or headset. Comments, questions, topic ideas, whatever you want to share with us, all is welcome. We hope to hear from you soon. Thanks.